So one of our earlier episodes uh, with Nathan Johnson um, was one of the three interns that was with Dr. Stephen Manley over uh, the summer, I believe it was 2004, 2004, no, 2005 is what it was. And um, I'm obviously one of those guys. And then the third one is Reverend Quincy Wheeler. And um, these are guys that uh, I, you know, going through that internship um, and experiencing that, and that was a summer to remember for sure. That was just a life-changing experience. And so these are the guys that, you know, will remain friends for life. We don't necessarily need to talk every week, uh, anything like that. But I know that if I would ever need anything in the world, I could give them a call, drop of the hat, they would do it. Um, so it's really cool to be able to have friends like that. Um, and today talking with Quincy, it's fun to reminisce on some of the stuff that we went through some of the funny stories. Um, it's, it's cool to see where they're at in life now. Um, it has been almost 10 years since we were on that internship. And, uh, every time we talk something from the internship gets brought up, it's just one of those things that was just a great experience. Um, but today, one of the things uh, we talk about today is quizzing. Quincy's really big into quizzing, um, and uh, he and his whole whole family pretty much is big into quizzing. And uh, it's uh, the Bible quiz. Now, I used to do Bible quizzing, and this was the kind where it would have the jump pads on the seats, and you had to have quick buns to get up off of those seats and answer that question. Now, sometimes too, if you, if you jump before the question is done, you have to finish the question, then give the answer. Um, so man, I remember, I remember doing that and I was looking through some trophies the other day cause I knew this was coming up. I got some quizzing trophies myself. Just saying, I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying, but now it's a whole different ball of wax. I mean, I th- believe he was mentioning something about, thermal like you know you're measuring your body heat uh, on these quiz pads these jump pad things and it's just absolutely insane so really cool to talk with him about that I mean it's like a totally different avenue of ministry um, that uh, is out there and available Um, one of the things we talk about is when you're dating in the ministry and uh, let me just say this dating as a minister is totally different than dating uh, as just somebody that's that's part of the congregation because you're under the microscope anyway as a minister. People are constantly looking at you, watching you, because you're supposed to be this example for them. Um, and so when you're dating somebody, they then come under that microscope as well, and then everybody begins to look at you and how you handle uh, that dating relationship, which is fine. Um, but sometimes it can be, uh, strenuous a little bit. And so, um, it's just, it's just totally different than a regular, normal dating relationship. You just are constantly under the microscope of everything you do. You have to be extra careful, um, you know, with, with, um, dates and things like that. And so it's just a whole different ball of wax. And, uh, another thing we talk about today too is, um, being able to love somebody that is not necessarily exactly like you. 
Um, for instance, one of the things we talk about is being able to love somebody that may not have the same sexuality preferences as you. And, you know, the, nowadays the, there's the big thing about um, gay marriage, that whole thing passing and becoming legal in the United States. And and uh, it's it's quite interesting to see the response that uh, we have given. I say we very loosely. I, I haven't posted anything on it because I, I think it's quite interesting to watch the church, people that are in the church, post responses to that. And um, the uproar and things like that. And, and you know, don't get me wrong. I, if, if you know me at all, you know my stance on that um, and, and what I believe. But here's the thing about it is I have never known anybody to, I don't I, I shy away from using the word convert. Um, I've never known anybody to come to know Jesus, to be a follower of Christ because they've lost an argument. Never known that to happen. Uh, but I have known people to come to know who Jesus is because of the love of one of his believers. I have known that to happen. Because somebody took the time to love them regardless of their situation, regardless of whatever was going on in their life, um, where they were from or uh, their preference of, of whatever. Somebody took the time to get to know them. Somebody took the time to get to love them. And that was huge. That was monumental in their life. They didn't just look at them uh, as what sin or whatever it might have been in their life. Um, because when we stop looking at somebody like they're a person and start looking at them like they're a problem, then there's a disconnect there. And we need to start taking a step back and looking at God's creation looking at people as people and not as a problem, not as a struggle, not as a sin, but looking at them as people. And I think when we begin to start doing that, then we can change the way uh, that we act, change the way that we respond, um, change the way that we begin to love people. Because I guarantee if Jesus looked at me not as a person, but as my issues, my problems, the sin of my life. If Jesus looked at me like that, uh, he would have turned his back on me a long time ago. But because he doesn't look at me like that, he looks at me as, as one of his creation. He looks at me as a person. He looks at me uh, as I, I'm valued. I'm important. And the cool thing is, if we begin to look at people through the eyes of Jesus, I believe that we would act and react in completely different ways. I don't know. Food for thought. Some caribou to chew on, I guess, maybe. I don't know. But I believe that you're going to really like this interview. Um, Quincy is one of my one of my great friends, and uh, we always have a good time whenever we're together or just talking over the phone. He's, he's a fantastic guy, uh, truly one of the guys I would look at and say he, he lives his life in such a way he's above reproach. Um, an awesome, awesome guy. I'm excited that you guys get to know him a little bit better, uh, very similar to kind of how I do maybe. And uh, he's a he's a blessing in the kingdom for sure. So that being said, let's start the show. 
Yes. <laughs> you got me straight up tripping, boo. You dipping and dapping and don't know what's happening. They was grabbing hankies, waving blankies. They was running them aisles up in there. I respect your opinion, but you're wrong. Thanks for joining us today on the Legacy Helms Podcast. I'm Nick Jones, and today with me, I have the Rabbi Quincy Wheeler. <laughs> Thanks for joining us today, Quincy. A messianic rabbi. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. <laughs> he's, not, he's not necessarily a Jewish rabbi. He is a teacher, though, and that is Jewish for teacher. That's why we're using that term. Because he loves yeah. to have, he's all about titles. It, In fact, you could even call me Rabboni. I think we're close enough where you can call me that. Oh, I don't even know what that means, but I, I need to look that one up. I, I'll do it. I'm not afraid to do it. <laughs> it's the affectionate term for Rabbi. Rabboni It's what Mary Magdalene says when she sees Jesus. See, I thought that meant like, you know how you have like a, a gaggle of geese and things like that? I thought it was a whole bunch of rabbis <laughs> together. It's the Rabboni that's coming to get you. <laughs> Good idea, but not the, the plural of rabbi. So, well, yeah, again, thanks for joining us today. Um, what we're gonna hop right into? It. What What do you do? What would you say you do here? Well, I would say that I don't do a whole lot. No, no, I'm a, an associate pastor at a Methodist United Methodist Church in Mentor, Ohio. I'm a, part of a pastoral team, so we have. Um, we have five pastors, three are full-time, two are part-time, and I am uh, the associate pastor of modern worship and evangelism. So, modern like worship? Yes. What does that, what, what does modern yeah, worship our, mean? Like you don't, you don't chant like the old time or how, what is, what is, what does modern worship mean? Yeah, modern worship. Could mean a lot of things, I suppose. Yeah, we haven't done the Gregorian chants, so maybe that is what it means, no Gregorian <laughs> chants. But um, we have, our church has four worship services. Two services happen at 9, and two services happen at 11. One service at each time slot is in the sanctuary, and one service at each time slot is in the fellowship hall. The fellowship hall service is the modern service. We call it iConnect. I figure you'll like that as an Apple guy, right? iPad, iPhone, iConnect, right? Yes. And a little product placement in our podcast now. I get paid for that for Apple. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I, I I usually preach at the modern service once every five weeks or so. I preach in the sanctuary, switch spots with our lead pastor who usually preaches in the sanctuary. But primarily, I lead the team that puts together the service, comes up with ideas for message series and for creative elements that they want to do, and I kind of keep my eye on the worship side of things as well and give some guidance to those folks. And then I am uh, involved with outreach in the community through evangelism, help give some guidance to that team and come up with ideas about how to reach out to our community and 
tell people about Jesus who might not be coming into the church. So. Nice. You have, yeah, you have and a, also as a pastor, I, I also do visitation and uh, small and lead for small groups and all that good stuff. So you're you're a little bit busy, not a lot of bit, based on <laughs> right, what you just yeah, said. I, uh, not 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 real busy, yeah. Yeah, yeah, not yeah. a ton. You're just, you you clock I, in I maybe maybe five to ten hours every week, maybe. Yeah, right. Yeah. Especially, like, if I don't have to preach on a Sunday, I really don't have anything to do. I just sit around and pet my chinchilla all day, really. That's good. You're just watching Lord of the Rings all week. Yeah, Lord of the Rings. Is. Yeah, right. I guess that there's enough Lord of the Rings Hobbit movies now to fill up, like, 20, 22 hours. So, yeah, yeah I just pretty much Between that and your 5 to 10 hours, you're clocking a full work week. And it's got to be right, exhausting. Yeah, spiritual. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. Um, so when you're when you're looking at um, doing like a sermon series, um, and what all goes into trying to trying to prepare and plan a sermon series when you're um, trying to map out what you want to do? Um, you know, do you? try to look at like what your congregation needs do you look at what god's you know obviously would hope you look what god's laying on your heart like what all goes into planning out like a sermon series for you yeah that's a great question there's a lot of factors that go into it and um you know one of the things i would say is that our the service the modern worship service that we have we really try to make it as easily accessible to people as possible. We want to put up as few barriers as we possibly can to people who are either outside the church or kind of on the outskirts of church life. They don't feel comfortable coming in. So we do try to look for ways to connect to things that people already know. And uh, and then from there, a lot of times we'll come up with an idea of kind of a catchy uh, title for it or catchy packaging. And then we'll figure out, well, okay, what, what scriptures would be great ideas to delve into as far as this relates to. But other times we'll start off and say, hey, this is really a scripture that we want to go into and then come up with a catchy idea to go with it. So it could go either way. So, for example, um, we, we right now are in the middle of a series called God's Positioning System. We call it GPS. So that's pretty straightforward. Yeah. But we have this idea, and this idea of, wanting to do kind of a geocaching thing where we would hide some prizes for people in the Minner community and they could get coordinates with scavenger hunt instructions and find those things. So each week that we had a sermon, they could go and find a prize to go with the theme of the sermon, or they could just do it all at once, but just that and the geocaching element. So we came up with that idea, and then I, and then I was the one that in this particular instance said, well, what scriptures would be good for that? And I thought it would be great to look at the Sermon on the Mount and how Jesus talks about the ways that God guides us. And uh, so, you know, three of the common ways that God guides us are through scripture, prayer, and through godly advice. So those are the three ways that we're focusing the uh, series on what Jesus says about um, scripture, what he says about prayer, and what he says about receiving godly advice in the Sermon on the Mount. And so we've been preaching out of that. Typically, if I'm designing a sermon series, I like to try to keep the sermon in a chapter or a book of scripture, because I think that leads for better study. 
but every now and then, like, we'll do a sermon series where it's maybe a little more topic-based. Like, we're looking towards a series at the beginning of the year that might talk about fear, uh, some title maybe like No Fear New Year or something like that. Yeah. And uh, to do that, we might just grab some scriptures, because God repeats a lot of times says people do not be afraid, so we might just grab some scriptures from all over to find that. Now, okay, we'll we'll clarify this for people that are listening too. We know each other because we were on an internship with this wily old guy, Doctor Stephen Manley, (laughs) who we love. We both love to death, Uh, and we spent all summer with him and traveled with him in the back of a pickup truck that was very comfortable. Very. Very comfortable. I yeah. loved it. My knees loved it too. Um, right. S is uh, his poor poodle growled at me menacingly the entire time until it died. <laughs> that was a summer to remember for sure. So, um, we 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 were on that internship together uh, with with a guest that we've had previously, Nathan. Um, so yeah, you know, people can imagine that dynamic being together, and it was. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. So um, definitely memorable. But I know that there was there were certain things that we looked at on the internship that like were different styles of preaching. Um, so there was like topical, um, there was expositional, there was all all different types. When when you're preaching and you're delivering a message in the modern worship, or maybe if you're going over switching over to the Gregorian worship, whatever you want to call it. Um, what style do you typically use when, like you, you kind of mentioned briefly there, you know, de- depends on, the, you know, that if you want to do topical or things like that, but typically what's your go-to style when you're preaching and why? Yeah, um, that's that's a good clarifying question too because, like, I would say that sometimes our series might be more topical in nature, and every sermon I preach is expositional. I don't think I've ever preached a sermon that was topical or anything other than expositional. I, I firmly believe um, Stephen, you know, would, would say that the picture of preaching that you can find in Hebrews 4.12 when it says the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And Stephen always said that the idea is the picture that it gives you is the preacher spends time in the word the word cuts the preacher to the core and just reveals who you are at your depth and who god wants you to be and then the idea is that the preacher then gets up in the pulpit and exposes those wounds to his congregation bleeds all over them with the suffering of christ and the knowledge of who christ is and then the congregation is transformed by that revelation that comes from the preacher's exposition in the Word. And I think that's exactly the way that it has to be. So any time that I approach a passage, no matter whether it's from one book, one chapter, or whether it's from a bunch of different books, I always want to say, who does this passage reveal Jesus to be, and how does that passage change me? And to do that, you know, I try to get into the language, I try to get into the background, the context, and but primarily just spend time reading it, memorizing it if possible, and thinking about it and letting Jesus work on me through it, and then let that be what guides and pushes the sermons that I preach. So every sermon that I preach, I would say, is expositional. However, uh, you know, Stephen typically, he'll preach a 40-minute sermon, and in our context, it doesn't 
that doesn't really work as well. And, and I don't know. Maybe it's just because I'm not nearly as talented as Stephen. That could very well be it. But I, <laughs> I do think that um, I know that I'm not. But I, I, I try to keep pace around 20 minutes. I find that that usually helps uh, everyone kind of pay attention and be engaged. And I think Stephen would probably agree with something a homiletics professor said to me once: is that you could preach the same sermon in 40 that you can in two and a half minutes. If you really had to, the message of your sermon you could deliver in two and a half minutes. So I try to keep to that. And you know, if I had 40 minutes, I could go a little bit more into the language and the background. But if I have 20, I really try to focus on, you know, those basic aspects. Like I said, how does this passage? Who does this passage reveal Jesus to be, and how does that change me, and how should that change you? So really, you're so the homiletics professor was saying you could any sermon you should be able to knock out in two and a half minutes. Basically, you're hitting just main points. Yeah, like for example, last week I preached about prayer. I would say that um, my main concept that I wanted people to understand is that um, God knows what you need, so that's why prayer needs to be the central point of your life. And in just one phrase. You could say prayer needs to be the center point of your life. And I would illustrate that from we were working in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through five through 8, I think. And uh, Jesus talks about how prayer is not meant to be a public performance. In other words, your, private, your, your public piety should never exceed your private devotion. And then Jesus yeah. says that prayer is not meant to be pointless phrasing. So uh, he says that, you know, it's not coming up with a magic word to get God to do what you want him to do. Instead, it's coming to God and letting him meet you in a secret place to reveal his heart to you. And then uh, prayer, is, prayer is supposed to be a priority. Jesus says that your kingdom come, your will be done in my life. And Jesus, we don't know much about his free time, but we know what free time he did have. He spent taking time to talk to the Father. And that was important for him who should have known the heart and mind of God better than any other human being. If it was important for him to order his life based on prayer, it's got to be the same for me. So that's the whole sermon. I don't know how long that was, but all, yeah. all you have left from that is illustrations and ways to try to bring it home to people. Yeah, so, so not necessarily having a ton of main points per se, having a couple and then just driving those points home. To the point when you leave that right. message, you go, I got this out of that. And it's exactly, yeah, exactly. what you were trying the, to the do. Point needs, the point needs to be abundantly clear. What, like, you really, I think my philosophy, and I picked this up from Stephen, I think, and from my, one of my homiletics professors, your sermon should be able to be summarized in one action statement. So my action statement is that prayer, prayer needs to be the center point of my life. And... You know, if, if you service should come to an action statement that you want your congregation to recognize. Nice. Nice. Now, yeah. you have done yeah. other things. I don't know if you're currently doing them, but I know that at another church you were at, you had a quizzing ministry. Do you still do that? Yeah, I, conten yeah, I continue to be involved with Bible quizzing, so yeah, I help kids memorize scripture and compete on their knowledge of that scripture. So, okay, explain, because some people probably don't know what, I, I mean, I did because I was a quizzer, and I was pretty good, too. Not really, I wasn't that great. <laughs> um, not Definitely not on the level that you, you guys were. But um, 
explain what all goes into that. What is it, you know, what does it look like? How does it work? Different things like that. Sure. Yeah. We, uh, we work with kids from in grades five through 12 and each year in our quizzing organization, which is Bible quiz fellowship. And it's kind of a collection of Bible quiz ministries around the country, non-denominational, some denominations. It's just a collection of people who want to quiz in this fashion. We have divided up the whole New Testament into eight years of Bible quizzing. So that theoretically, if you learned every scripture available each year, you could learn the whole New Testament. Now, I don't know if anybody's really ever done that yet, but it's possible. So we cover the whole New Testament in eight years. So each year we'll have a selection that you're learning. So this year is actually the epistles year. We have Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, First and Second Timothy, First and Second Thessalonians, Titus and Philemon. That's all the scriptures that we're covering this that's year. That's all in one sounds year. Sounds like a lot. Yeah, sounds like a lot, but that's actually less verses than we often have. It's only, I think it's only like 890 verses. Usually we're looking more at a thousand, so it's a little bit lower this year, but. Um, that's just a lot of a lot of small books. So that's what people are learning this year. So if you typically a quizzer might learn one or two of those books, or you know, this year at least everybody should probably learn at least one of those books, and then some people might learn um, you know three or four of those books if they know a lot. We memorize the verses and then we ask questions directly from the verse. So the questions are phrased with the wording of the verse. And kids jump up off of electronically activated seat pads, try to beat each other for the opportunity to answer the question. If you win the jump, you get to answer the question. Typically, kids are jumping on one or two, word, two words at the most of the question, and then they finish the question and give you the answer based on the knowledge they have of the verse. So it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty incredible. It's competitive, a lot of fun, and uh, I've definitely seen, like, I had this one kid, one of my favorite kids to work with. He came to us from the trailer park down the road and didn't think he could memorize, and he turned out to have a, a really great audio memory. Just read him a verse, and he could read it back. His last year of quizzing, he and I sat down and memorized the whole book of Hebrews. So, you nice. know, he didn't really have any relationship with the church at the beginning, then uh, learned the entire book of Hebrews. So I don't know too many other ministries where that becomes a possibility. That's true. Now, okay, so when they're when you say they're jumping, there's the little the seat cushions, and they have two sensors yeah. on them. They have what? They, they have two sensors on them, like two little. Yeah. What I don't know what you yeah. want to call them, but there's two little things on things them, and they go to things a. Things have changed probably since you quiz because nowadays they're actually digital sensors, and they go off. Oh, body excuse heat, me. So there's not even so much. Yeah, there's. See, I went so old school. Now. I'm still back in the Gregorian quizzing era. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We used to yeah. chant the answers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I remember that era as well. But yeah, nowadays it's all it's connected to computers and it's based on body really? and that kind of thing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, sometimes you get these tiny little girls quizzing and they can't turn their lights off because they just they don't have any body heat. They're practically vampires. And you're like, hey, go, go get some blood. Go get go eat a sandwich. So it goes off of body heat. Yeah, well, just like, you know, like your phone does, you know, some of, like, it senses your finger touching it and moves. It's the same kind of technology, I'm assuming. Oh, I don't smokes. know. You know better than I do. Well, I don't, I mean, I don't know about body heat because you're sitting on the thing. I mean, I would <laughs> give the girl a sweater well, or something. I don't know. Give her, eat, extra, pretty sure. give her an extra chicken breast. Am I allowed to talk breast. about butts on the podcast? Quincy, we can talk about anything we want to. 
<laughs> you need to venture down the Song uh, of Solomon path. Really? We can do that. I was thinking about like internship stories and like yeah, the one that I came up with was do you remember when we did Stephen and Delphine's laundry? Yeah, yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't say like I probably shouldn't go in front of that. We did Stephen and Delphine's laundry. We did. We were yeah. we were they said we were only one of two intern teams that got to do their laundry, so I just consider that to be quite an honor. Well, yeah, and I mean. Man, I mean, there's a ton of stories we could tell. Um, yeah, I did. I didn't have a bone to pick with you last time because you got you told that story of the guy who coughed uh, uh, while he was singing the gospel singer. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you said that I was the one moving away from you and Nathan. No, it was you and I who were losing it, and Nathan kept moving farther and farther was, down the pew. Was it Nathan that was moving away from us? Yeah, Nathan didn't want anything Nathan to do with us, so we were just, like, losing it. I knew and I was losing it Afterwards, way. we went down to the altar, and he was like, no singing tonight, just yeah. prayer. Yeah. No singing, no just s- prayer. It was, how did he say it? It was It was something, it was so smooth. <laughs> He's so good at that. He's like, no singing, no words, just prayer. <laughs> no words. <laughs> like, you can play music if you want to, but keep your mouth shut. Because when you speak... <laughs> nonsense comes out like no, nothing good is going to come from you talking at all um yeah, just so right. just don't oh, man. that was don't so speak. good so good <clears throat> yeah that oh, that man. and if there was ever a summer to remember that was it um yeah really it, it does we went all over. It's, it's amazing that it's been 10 years ago i don't want to talk about that that's that means 10 years dude 10 years 10 years ago is when and I remember too. See, okay, and you may have changed. I don't know. You got a woman now, I believe, and so this may she might have changed you. But you weren't a hugger at all. And I remember the uh, first time I go to hug you, yeah. <laughs> you had that butt out. Uh, this is awkward hug. Yeah, so right. that was weird. Nathan, you know, he's goofy, so he just embraced it. But you were like, oh, stranger danger, which rightfully so. I mean, the looks of me alone was probably like, oh, I don't yeah. know, I don't trust him. Uh, how little did I know how right I was. Yeah, well, <laughs> you were spot on, but that didn't mean I didn't, like, grab you and pull you in. For, for that. Well, I remember that you were, you were pretty skeptical, too, when you heard that I was homeschooled, because well, you haven't had such a great experience with homeschoolers. There's that, yeah. There's that. Yeah. But it turned out okay, didn't it? It's, I mean, I think I'm... I'm definitely on the cooler side of the homeschooling experience. Would, yeah, you're you're on the, the cooler sliding scale. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if there is such a thing. I, uh, I, will, I will clarify one thing. Clarify, I please. was in a relationship and it fell apart, which is uh, part of life that I live currently. I, it probably relates a little bit to ministry. I'm sure, you know, you and a lot of other people can relate to that. Is that, you know, it's just it's interesting how ministry does kind of throw a wrench into things sometimes in relationships go. But it makes it I don't quirky. Yeah, what's that? It makes it quirky. Like, it's if you're in ministry and you have a relationship, like you didn't, you didn't have a relationship before you're in ministry and then you try to have a relationship, it's not the same as just a regular relationship. Right. It can't be. Like it just it's it's just different, yeah. um, and uh, you know if 
if you're both, maybe if you're both not in ministry and the one of you is called to ministry, maybe it's a little bit different because you had that courtship beforehand. But if you're doing it uh, when you're in ministry, it's just it's just a whole different ball of wax. It just is. Um, not bad, not not necessarily better or anything like that. It's just different. You just have to do things differently. So, but yeah. yeah. Um, well, yeah. and I think one of the, it's just like people say that there are two ways to shut down a conversation that you're having dating wise. One is to say I'm a mortician, and the other is to say I'm a pastor. And as a Methodist <laughs> pastor, as a Methodist pastor, you're also itinerant. Which I mean, anybody in ministry, you're willing to move wherever God wants you to move. But as a Methodist pastor, I also have to explain to a woman, hey. Just so you know, whenever the bishop decides that he wants to move me to another church, we're just going to move to whatever church he wants us to. Is that all right? I mean, no problem with that, right? So yeah, sure. Okay, we'll do. That's how that works in the Methodist church, then. Whenever the yeah, bishop's we're, like, we're itinerant. We, whenever yeah, the bishop's like, you need to go now. That's nuts. Do you get, so, do you, do you typically start, like, I don't know. I'm, I'm curious about this now. Uh, I kind of knew about this before, but do you do you maybe like start smaller and then work your way bigger, or can it go either way? You know, how does that how does that typically work? I mean, does it based on your strengths, weaknesses, yeah. that kind of stuff, or how does that work? Uh, it can work anyway. I would say the typical way is to get appointed to like a smaller charge, a smaller church, and then and work your way up to bigger churches, but it depends on what they see. Like right now I'm at the biggest or second biggest church in the conference, and this is my first full-time appointment. So, I mean, that's that's nice, but, I, you know, I'm not the lead pastor. I'm the associate pastor. I'm working with a guy who, in my opinion, is the best pastor in our conference, so that's great to have him as a lead pastor, and he's just a real spiritual guy full of Jesus and a great leader. So that's that's a blessing. But, um, yeah, so they probably start you off in an associate pastor like I am now or maybe in a, uh, as a lead pastor of a smaller church, and then you kind of work your way up depending on how you do with what you're given. Now, do you, how, how do you get – do you have goals of being a bishop someday? Is it a bishop? Is that what it's called? <laughs> I do not have goals of being a bishop. Uh, but, Although that would be a great yeah, title. I mean, yeah, they, uh, you can get elected as a bishop. You know, you probably serve as a district superintendent somewhere in there, maybe, and then get nominated for that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, nobody, I don't think anybody in their right mind really wants to be a district superintendent or bishop. I think people probably end up there because they realize the need for it and how people could use them ministry-wise there. But I'm sure that all the, I'm sure all the really good district superintendents and bishops would tell you that they'd much rather be pastoring a church because, you have to get a lot more into politics than necessary when you're in those positions. So is the district superintendent and the bishop, are those two different roles? Yeah, the district superintendent is kind of the bishop's arm for a particular area. So I'm in the Western Reserve District, which is kind of like Asheville County, Lake County, Geauga County. Uh, that's pretty much those counties of Ohio are in our district and we have a we have a great district superintendent she was a great pastor and now she's our district superintendent but you know after six years or so she'll probably go back to pastoring and but you get a, like a point for uh, as district superintendent for six years in fact actually our lead pastor now kurt landerholm 
who's a holiness statue, and he's heard Stephen speak a few times. He uh, was uh, district superintendent before he got the job here, so got to go back and forth. So, okay, yeah, so, all right, I didn't know that, because typically in, in, like, the Nazarene denomination, like that, once you're a district superintendent, you're there, like, kind of indefinitely, and you you only go up or maybe lateral, but you don't go back to being a pastor. So uh, that's kind of sweet that you guys have that. Yeah, I think it is nice. I mean, the thing about this is you're tenant, more responsibility, of course, means you get paid more, so your salary, I'm sure, goes up. But it's just, it's not fun. I don't think it's fun for anybody because you're kind of like putting out fires, trying to make things are working right, yeah. trying to, you know, do different things. So it's nice for them to know that after a certain time period, they get to go back to being a pastor and doing that work. Now, do you, so could you, could the bishop... The bishop is above the district superintendent. Is there only yeah. one bishop, or are there multiple bishops? Is it bishai? Well, there are many bishops the in the United States, but we only have one bishop for East Ohio. Ohio is divided into two, two Methodist conferences, West Ohio and East Ohio. Okay. I'm in East Ohio, so we only have one bishop. Yeah. Okay. So the and he's a great guy, too. I'm not saying that because he's my boss, but he's a great guy, too. Sure. Okay. Um yeah. <laughs> so they could be like we're going to send you to Fresno, California and you know you, you go to Fresno, California well very rarely, very rarely will they ask you to take an appointment out of your conference so I'm in East Ohio, I'm going to be appointed to East Ohio unless somehow like the bishops from other conferences are getting together and somebody says, I really need somebody for this particular church and our bishop's like, hey, that really sounds like Quincy and that really sounds like Kurt. You know, that's not, that is not at all a regular occurrence. Very, very rare. So typically you're going to be appointed in your conference unless you ask to be moved to another state. So, but so I you can ask for that. East Ohio. What? You can ask for that then. Yes, yes. Oh, I, cool. If I wanted to, I could ask to be appointed to another state, yeah. Well, let me see. You should be like, I really feel like God's leading me to Hawaii. And that's just speaking <laughs> I feel burdened heart. on my heart for Hawaii. Yeah, it's the, the people there, the Samoan people, they need they need Jesus in a me- Methodist way. And I feel I had like... A, I had a dream and a, a man from Macedonia type experience. <laughs> a man from Hawaii in a grass skirt was saying, come, come, aloha. Aloha, they said aloha, they put a lay over my neck, and there was a pig roasting in the background. I believe that's a sign that I should go to Hawaii, yeah. and I'm just spitballing here. I'm just... See, I think, I think that uh, one of the things that probably is mainly different, I don't know if this is the case, but I'm assuming, like, in the Methodist Church, we have a lot of diversity of, like, opinion and even of theology, so... We're one of those mainline denominations that's having like a lot of debate about a lot of social issues. So that's that's what's interesting, and it's kind of I think it's kind of cool to be in a church that is has like a whole bunch of different opinions, and we work with people that are a little bit to the left or way to the left, and work with people a little bit to the right or way to the right, and we can all kind of work together. But it also presents its challenges, of course. Well, okay, one of those things with the social what have you's that you guys wrestled with 
I feel like, not you in particular, but the denomination, was having ministers who were homosexual. Right? Yeah. What yeah, was currently what's that? What I was gonna say, what's the where were you guys at with that? Or do you know or are you in yeah, the know? Currently our, currently our church discipline says that the practice of homosexuality is incompatible with Christian teaching. And it emphasizes that, you know, no matter who you are, no matter what you believe and what you um, where you identify yourself and your sexual orientation or gender, you are accepted and welcome in the church and we want you here. We believe that, you know, God has poured his grace on all of us abundantly. Uh, but you know the church doctrine is that if you're if you're practicing homosexuality, so if you're you know engaging in that behavior and you have a homosexual partner, that you cannot uh, be in ministry. You cannot be ordained as a pastor. So that's currently our position. But yeah, we undergo that debate almost every year. And this year, uh, next year is actually general conference when they will kind of address the situation again and figure out how the church is handling it. And there's there's a lot of debate denominationally about how we should handle it and how we should deal with the situation. So, so if you're, let's say if you're, if you feel that you are homosexual but you don't practice it, like you maybe have taken a vow of celibacy, something like that, would it then be okay? Yes. Okay. You could be ordained, yes. Because, I, I, was having, I mean, I've had multiple conversations because this is one of the things I think a lot of, a lot of times we get brought up is that there's a difference between um, being a homosexual and being a practicing homosexual that a lot of times I think people will miss completely. Um, because I know people that that's the thing that they wrestle with. That's, that's something that is a hard, a hard thing for them. Um, very similar to, I mean, if you think about anything, anything that, you know, God has deemed, yes, this is a sin. And, you know, we all have things that we wrestle with, but that's, that's their thing. That's their main thing that they are struggling with. Um, but a lot of times for some reason that like gets elevated to, oh, that's worse than this sin, you know, where it's almost like there's some sort of hierarchy but, you know, I know guys that have, they went through catechism classes. Now, nothing against the Catholic Church, but I can't think catechism classes um, you know, are going to be the most, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, almost like understanding um, sort of thing. You know, catechism classes, I feel like, are going to be like, this is the way it is, and we don't, we don't budge on this one um, sort of thing. And went through this catechism class, they addressed it. He realized it was wrong, takes a vow of celibacy, and now I look at this guy and I go, this guy's, he's involved in church. He uh, is like one of the guys on the one of the ministry teams, um, way more active than a lot of people that I look at, you know, been going, you've been coming to church for 20 some years and you're just kind of stagnant right now. And I think that's, yeah. that's really significant to me um, because... You know, he knows that's a struggle for him, but because it is, he has done the steps to, I don't want to say correct it, that's the that's the wrong word, but he's taken steps to, to try to overcome that in essence. Um, 
you know, I think the, the main thing that I would just want to communicate to the church is that we've done, we just do a horrible job talking about this whole situation. We really do. And the thing that the society does as well, the problem that we have is that people are being told that your identity and your worth is centered in who you are, what you do, and your, you know, it could be your sexual orientation, your gender, your, um, your job, your, uh, your outlook on life. These things define you. And that's not at all the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is that the love of Jesus has radically changed everything about who we are, and his love is what defines us. We're always the beloved of God, no matter how we feel, no matter what kind of things that we've done or that we do, his love is what you know defines us. And Paul says, you know, you were bought at a price, honor God with your body. In other words, you know, our bodies are not our own, our minds are not our own, our hearts are not our own, we've been purchased with the blood of Christ. And that changes our priorities, and it speaks into all of our lives and tells us that, you know, we're not defined by how we feel, we're not defined by the person we have for life, it's, we're defined by uh, Jesus' love for us, and that changes everything about the conversation, but I just think we don't do a great job of uh, talking about that, you know, it, it would help us understand and be loving and accepting, and it would help us also understand how we can challenge every single person to live into the you know, pattern of new creation that Jesus has laid out for us. But, that is interesting too because a lot of times we look at it and we <laughs> we're we're extremely selfish with decisions um, and, and you know this is what this is what I like so this is what I'm going to do and you know if God doesn't like it then he can figure it out where really in all actuality we should take a step back and ask ourselves what is God leading us to and you know, a lot of times too, I think people get wrapped up in their person. It well, this doesn't fit my personality. This isn't how I was made. Well, wouldn't it be great if the person who did make you gave you like change your personality? Then, if that's if they want you to go do that, that for them to change it. But well, it's just one of those things. The tough part. It's a tough and good thing about the gospel is that. How you feel doesn't define who you are. Thank goodness for that, because the way that I feel is not always a happy and great thing. But it also is kind of, it hurts sometimes because I care so much about things that I want and that I feel that I want, and to know that that may not always be what God desires for me. Like, you were talking about this relationship. Yeah, I really had a great relationship with this girl, and we things were going really well, and we prayed together every day. We made Jesus the center point of our relationship, and it was almost like within a week's time, everything changed, and she was seeing things differently and, and realized that it wasn't going to work. And, um, you know, it's like everything within me wanted to be with her. And, in fact, like still a part of me really would want that and would go for that if that was a possibility, you know, that, that I would be right there again. But realizing that that's not, that isn't what Jesus designed for me. As much as you know, it was great that he gave Audrey, my ex-girlfriend, to me, and I think that he did, he also has the right to take her away. He has the right to do something different with my life than what I expect. And I know that if I trusted him with giving me a good gift like that, I can trust that him taking it away is also a good gift. 
it doesn't make it easy. That you know everything within you cries out to this, and you want it with more than everything, you know, with more than what you could ever imagine. But and to hear God say, "Hey, that's not what I want for you," is not easy. But if you really trust Him and you really fear Him and love Him and think that He is who He says He is, then you know that you can follow along even when it's hard. And I just think we have to get to the point where we're willing to communicate that to people instead of saying, hey, however you want to be and whatever you want to do is fine, or saying, however you are is wrong, you need to change how you feel. Somewhere in the middle of that, we've got to say, what defines you is God's love for you, and, and that has an impact on how you live. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think yeah. when we start looking at, we start looking at what the goal is, um, why we're doing what we're doing. You know, this life is not for us, although a lot of times we feel that it is. Um, when we change that mindset of this life isn't for us, this life is all for Him, and to spread His gospel, to preach His message, then that changes the way that we do or view things. Um, yeah. You know. Yeah, that's the desire, the desire for the church. You know, Jesus didn't stay on earth. He said to his disciples, it'll be better if I leave. In John 14, he says, it'll be better if I leave. And the disciples look at him and say, what, Jesus? What? How in the world would it be better if you leave? And then he says, well, I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit so that each one of you can be an image of me. Yeah, what what blows my mind is when he says, he's, he, he's done, what was those points? He's done miracles, he preached sermons, and they've all been phenomenal, obviously. But he says then, you're going to do greater things than I did. And that, to me, blows my mind. But the sourcing that Jesus had came from the Father, and we can have that same sourcing. And that just... Right. And I think it's... A, man, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's important to realize that when he says you're going to do greater things, he's talking about, too, as, as a whole community... And when you look at what the church has done over the years, the centuries, uh, they've clearly we've clearly gone beyond what Jesus do. We've reached the world and we've transformed lives only only through His power, through the Spirit's power. But yeah, I think you can see how that promise came true. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, so got a question for you. If you're, and I'm sure that you deal with probably a lot of young guys and gals that maybe maybe they feel called to ministry, um, or they they have a call upon their life, and you know, let me use that word loosely um, because it's what does that what does called even mean? But they they feel um, pulled in the direction they feel God is wanting them to do something specific. Um, what would be some of the advice that maybe you have received along the way or some advice that maybe you've just learned the hard way, whatever it is, what would be some advice that you would give somebody who is starting out in ministry or they know that they're, they're supposed to be and maybe they're wrestling with something while they're in ministry, whatever it may be. What's some good advice that you have received or just have learned along the way? Yeah, that's a good question. I think that I would start off saying that you need to and the first thing you're going to do when you go into ministry is make sure that you have some accountability in your life. Find an accountability partner. Find somebody who's going to be willing to ask you the tough questions. Uh, find somebody that you can confess about your it. Everybody has an it, something that's just like always going to be there and always that one thing that's just hard to deal with. 
and you need to find somebody that you can tell about that it and, and ask you about that it. Yeah. So that's, that's just absolutely crucial because it's easy in ministry to uh, think that because you're serving Jesus and you're following Jesus and you're devoting your life to Jesus, that you actually have a relationship with Jesus. But none of that stuff means that you have a relationship with Jesus. Your relationship with Jesus is really found in, like Jesus says, in that secret place where you go when no one else is around and what you're doing with your thoughts and your heart and your mind in the uh, down times of your life. You know, that private devotion has to be the source of the image that you present in the world. Because ministry is a, it's a public environment. It's a perf- almost a performance-based, um, you know, job. It, it really seems that way. But it's not supposed to be. It's supposed to be an expression of who you are on the inside. So you've got to find somebody you can be completely real with and that will keep you accountable for being completely real. And I think that's the absolute most important thing you can do. And, you know, I would say in the middle of that, when you're going to ministry, remember that you're going to be, you're going to continue to be a real person. You're going to have a real heart. And, and I try to be intentional about, you know, keeping my sense of humor and, uh, you know, just being willing to talk about anything and everything with people and not, you know, saying, oh, I can't do that because I'm a pastor. I can't go there because I'm a pastor. You know, if you are filled with Jesus, you can go into any situation and share Jesus with people and, and trust them to make things right. I mean, obviously, obviously there's things that none of us are going to do for following Jesus and nobody should do those things. But I'm just saying, like, don't think that because you're a ministry that you can't relate to people where they are. You've got to be able to relate to people where they are or you'll never be effective ministry. And so I'd say those couple things. Another thing that I would say for ministry is that remember that people are not parking lots. You know, our church, we've been doing construction, and every day I look out there and I see them, like, paving the parking lot or putting finishing touches on the building. When the pavers are done with the parking lot, the parking lot will be done. We'll have a parking lot that we can use. The job will be finished. They'll go home, and they'll go to another job. As a pastor, people are never going to be like a parking lot. They're never going to be done. You can invest in somebody your entire life and pour out your life into them, and they could be responding to your what it is that you've shared, they could be responding and listening to Jesus, but they can throw all that away if they want to because the people are not parking lots, they're never finished and we're all weak and broken people and if you're not careful, you can get yourself caught up in trying to save people and trying to get people to do what you want them to do and that's honestly where I've made the biggest mistakes in my life in the ministry is just trying to do whatever it takes to try to get somebody to be who I know that they're called to be and that's so incredibly dangerous because only Jesus can change people and only Jesus can keep people once they've been changed. All you can do is hope to be a channel through which Jesus can move and reach the people, but it's, that's his responsibility. So just remember the people are in parking lots. Those are the kind of things I try to share with people. So you're saying I'm not supposed to do the Holy Spirit's work and convict? Because I would be really good. Yeah. I've told Jesus this time and time again. He doesn't listen. I would be fantastic <laughs> at convicting people if he give me the, if he'd give me a chance. Uh, he he's always said no, um, but you know, I think too often we get wrapped up into that, like a, not yeah. just as ministers but just as as believers we <laughs> we go, well, you know, you should really, whatever, whatever, whatever. Uh, well, thanks for that. I'm glad that I got your opinion on that. Um, God hasn't spoken to me on that yet, but when he does, I'll be sure to give you the credit. 
but yeah, I think you're right. A lot of times it's really difficult because you you might be able to see ahead and see where this person would would be fantastic at. They would fit a certain role extremely well, but that person's not there. And even once they're in that role, they're not like you said. They're not done. We're never done. Um, there's always growth left, and I think that's that's absolutely key. So yeah, great advice, man. Um, all right, give me. I only got a couple more questions for you, man. Give me the probably the craziest internship story that you can think of that that happened with me and you and Nathan. I mean, I guess it didn't have to I be think, all of us, but the the yeah, best uh, one. I, the craziest thing that I can remember. Uh, I, I'm just gonna cheat here and use just two quick examples. The craziest thing I can remember doing ministry-wise was when we were in Maine and we were running the kids' camp for Stephen while he was doing sermons. So each day and night we'd do something for the kids while he was preaching. Mm-hmm. And just the one night they brought in 19 Ugandan children who didn't speak a word of English. And I just remember, like, the church had this, like, balcony that, like, went off this little, type cliff-type hill thing. I just remember grabbing two tiny Ugandan children who were dangling off the side of this balcony <laughs> and pulling them back to safety. And they couldn't understand a word that I was saying. I thinking to myself, uh, I don't feel that I'm qualified for this, and I hope that no children die on my watch. And none did, but, like, it was definitely something that was beyond anything that I was capable of, and that's kind of what the whole internship was about. And as far as, like, a crazy story from us, I think definitely the craziest things that happened to us happened to us in, like, that uh, uh, it was, like, something West Virginia, the the Southwest Virginia one where we had the bat flying through the church, and we were, like, outside the church at 2 o'clock in the morning. And then we went over to the pastor's house, and they had that basset hound whose testicles were swollen beyond all belief, and he just started pooping on the floor. Remember that? Uh, Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, well, that's truly where I developed the fear of bats. Yeah. It's, it's based <laughs> that on that, the little winged spawns of Satan. Yeah, that's where I developed that fear. Yeah, and that poor dog, it was like 300 years old, and it just, it like it was, didn't they, move. They said it was 20 years old, and every time it moved, it would moan. Yeah. <laughs> At some point, you have to realize that dog needs to meet Jesus. You know, it, it, <laughs> so, Time has so, come. Just let go. Yeah. Let's cut your loss and let go. Yeah. Let Buford or whatever that dog's name was. Let him go. Let him go. That, that um, was also, you know, Nathan would do these cool magic tricks with the kids. Oh yeah. And and uh, you want, and, but that you would do the one where you would tear a newspaper a bunch of different times and it would tell a story. And that was the one. That was the place where Nathan did all his magic tricks, and then you did your newspaper thing at the end of the week. And this little girl who'd been there the whole time after you did the, news, the, the newspaper trick, and she'd seen all of Mason's magic tricks, but after you did the newspaper trick, she was like, that's witchcraft! That is witchcraft! <laughs> I just always remember that. that I, don't, I don't remember that one, but that's pretty amazing. You don't remember that? Oh, man. There were so I many stories that. based from oh, that wow. internship, but it, so, so the little girl thought I was doing witchcraft? Yeah, and Nathan had been doing all his paper where you did that like pilot's wheel thing. Yeah, the ship oh, helm. Yeah, but Nathan had been Nathan had been doing all this other stuff all week long. 
leave it to Nathan. Yeah. Leave it to Nathan to get away with witchcraft. <laughs> tell you what. Yeah, it didn't even come across that way. Yeah, I love Nathan. I haven't seen him in forever. I haven't either. I've talked to him. Obviously, I talked to him on, on doing this podcast, but I haven't seen him for quite a while. But uh, yeah, maybe maybe we can do. This would be awesome. Maybe we can do a special podcast where we have all three of us on there. And that would be pretty awesome. We can reminisce about the days of old. Well, it is the know. ten year. It is the ten year anniversary, so we should do something like we that. We should. We should figure that out. How we? <laughs> and then we should see. We should see if we can get Steve in the conference in at the end. Oh my word! I don't Steven know. Stephen could pretend like he remembers us. He probably didn't even remember. Yeah, us. I think he'd be like, "Are you? Do you want to be on the internship? No, I was one of your interns. Okay." <laughs> Well, what would be funny is that we could come up with a lot of things that actually didn't happen and see if Stephen would agree that, like, they did. He'd be like, yeah, Stephen, remember when we all went to the tattoo parlor and we almost convinced you to get a tattoo? And he'd be like, yeah, man, that was crazy, man. Oh, yeah, man. Did. Remember the time you got a flat tire and you threw it at the trucker and got into a fist fight? Yeah, I remember that, man. Yeah. <laughs> What a Jesus, what a Jesus. What a Jesus, oh man, what a Jesus. Yeah, what I a love guy. that guy. Yeah. I'm going to have to get him on here too. Yeah, oh man, good luck going an hour there. You better ask me to preach, that's how you're going to Yeah, well yeah, yeah, that's true. I would I would just ask him about the uh, biblical significance of the genealogy at the beginning of Matthew, and then we'd fill like a couple, <laughs> two to three hours. I'd have to, I'd have to edit it out. Yeah, definitely. Edit that part out. What so. a guy. What a guy. So, all right. Um, do you got any shameless plugs you want to give? Any ministries uh, you or know, websites? Not, not too much. I guess I'll mention that I have a blog, com, And the main thing you can find there is discussions of books. I'm a big fan of literature, so I try to read books and connect it to faith. So if you're interested in that kind of thing, you can find it there. Awesome. Awesome. Well, wanted to th- thanks again for joining us today. Had a great time talking with you. Yeah, it's a good excuse to get an hour in talking with you. That's nice. Yeah, yeah definitely, man. Well, I appreciate you. Thanks for listening in today. Don't forget to check us out online at LegacyHelms.org or any of our other platforms such as iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, or Player FM. Please subscribe and write a review for us. We want to hear what you have to say. If you need t-shirts for your next big event, we've got you covered. Visit us on the website and click on the t-shirt quote page under t-shirts. If you would like Nick or Kendra to preach at your next retreat, revival, or camp, fill out the contact us form online under preaching. If you want to send us an email and get in contact with us, please do so and send it to LegacyHelms at gmail.com. And as always, remember, don't let your meat loaf or your mop flop.